0: It's show 145, the RIM Pro report this week. Goodwin of the Data Center and the latest industry news. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. As summer is hitting the Northern Hemisphere and winter is about to freeze the Southern one, you want to make sure you mark the date for the upcoming O'Neill Partner Conference to be held in Huntington Beach, California, September 18th through 20th. There's no place like Southern California after the heat of the summer or the cold of the winter. More importantly, this conference will be an opportunity for partners to hear and learn more about the new and innovative technology O'Neill is always leading the industry with. To learn more about it, head on over on the old interwebs to O'NeillSoftware.com. Speaking of summertime, it looks to me like the fishes are jumping and, and the cotton, it's high. I think we should spread our wings and take to the sky. Welcome to the RIM Pro Report. The one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry. Bustling with news, views, and the latest updates. This show is full of interesting information. So take notes. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me, yours truly. We're back for our last show before our summer recess. Thanks for joining us. I want to officially remind you that for the month of July, we're going to get us some easy living. Becky and I are headed to the cottage on Lake Huron in Canada, in our hometown area, and we're going to get some rest and relaxation and spend some time with family. So we'll return back to you in August with a fresh new batch of great interviews for the second half of 2013. If you've got some time over the next month, be sure to stop in and listen to some old interviews from the last 144 shows. We have some wicked cool interviews that you might have missed along the way. Use the next month to catch up if you missed any. Today, I'm really excited to have Tim Goodwin, the founder and CEO of the data center in Rockford, Illinois. Tim is someone who's built his entire business around data protection. He's incredibly articulate, and I believe his story and perspective is very valuable to listen to. But before we talk to Tim, let's check out the latest industry news. Iron Mountain just announced the acquisition of Archivum of Sao Paulo, Brazil. While terms of the acquisition were not disclosed, Iron Mountain did indicate that the acquisition included more than 700 customers and more than 1.3 million million boxes of hard copy records. Archivum provided the full range of RIM services including record storage scanning, imaging, data protection and destruction services. This is Iron's second acquisition in Brazil in the last 14 months having acquired Grupo Store in April of 2012. O'Neill Software announced early this week that David Holt, formerly the executive vice president responsible for software development and support services, has been promoted to the role of chief Executive officer by Tim O'Neill, the founder and chairman of O'Neill Software. With the departure of Ian Thomas, as announced last week, David will assume the responsibility for overall management, direction, and growth of O'Neill. So, a big congratulations in order to David on his new exciting role. Looks like Recall is moving their Raleigh facility to a new location in Morrisville, North Carolina. The new location apparently is a smaller footprint, but with 30-foot ceilings and a new ESFR sprinkler system, this is a good move for that recall facility. Finally, Shred School from Nade will be holding its first new Shred School event in Chicago July 17th through 18th. There will be a lot more coming, but if you are close to Chicago and you want your staff to experience some really focused learning, Learning, then this is what Shred School is all about. And you can check it out at shredschool.com. I've dug up as much as I can this week. If you have any news you want to share with me, let me know so we can share it here on the show back when August comes around. Alrighty, I'm gonna get Tim Goodwin on the line. Hang tight while I do. <laughs> Tim Goodwin is the founder and CEO of the Data Center in Rockford, Illinois, a veteran data industry provider. I am excited to welcome Tim to the show. Tim, are you there?
1: Yes, I am. Thank you.
0: Hey, welcome to the RIMPRO Report. It's great to have you here. So let, let's start by telling me briefly about your company. What's the Data Center all about and what are the range of services and footprint? And give give me an overview for people who understand what it is we do. Give me an overview of your company.
1: Okay, sure. Great. Great. Um, my first question to you, though, is how far back do you want me to go?
0: Oh, let's um, let's just go, yeah, um, well, let's just start where you are today. Give, give me a sense of what you look like, and then we'll go a little bit into your history.
1: Okay, great. Great. The Data Center Data Protection is, is located in Rockford, Illinois, as you've already stated, and we have been providing a multitude of different types of data protection solutions to our customers since 2006, um, primarily... We started with the traditional offsite data protection of of client media. Right. Um, being being in the industry, you know what that, that is. Basically, the the offsite data protection of of uh, gathering that information from our client sites and 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 protecting it here at, in in our facilities. Right. Um, we also provide colocation services to client uh, clients who are looking to put that computer asset somewhere else other than their their uh, core place of doing business. Right. Um. Several years ago, we got into some cloud-based online backup.
0: Oh, okay. um, that's,
1: a, that's a little bit unique to us, or a little bit new to us, excuse me. Um, we provide disaster recovery consulting, which is a, a real nice piece of, uh, of uh, services for our clients. Uh, data center uh, migration tools for mm-hmm. customers that are looking to move their, their data center from one location to another. And dis- destruction services, I'm sure you've seen a lot of uh, companies providing uh, on-site and off-site data destruction we provide that to our, our clients as well
0: okay so but but you're really a data you're really a data center you're not you're not jumping into box storage and any of the other um any of the other tr- what we might consider traditional room services you're very focused on data
1: yes very focused on data and primarily the reason for that is i'm a data guy okay i i I have my degree in uh, computer science. Oh, I'm a wow. math mate. Oh, okay. And my, my understanding of this industry started when I was a computer manager. So that evolved into a business model to start this business around data, around the, the lack of uh, services being provided in the northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin uh, geographical location for protecting data. So it's not that we wouldn't want to do boxes or hard copy or – or uh, imaging. It just it scares the heck out of me.
0: Okay, got it. You know, so <laughs> so let, let, let's go back into that history a little bit. Um, so you've been in data a long time. You were in computer sciences. So so give me a little bit of your own personal history that, that really leads up to when uh, the data center was founded. So t- tell me a little bit sure. about your story.
1: Well, um, I graduated from, co- from college with a computer science degree, a, a math minor, and a uh, a business minor, just like any other computer science guy who was punching cards at the time. Yes, I said punching cards. It's, oh, wow, it's crazy. Wow, it's crazy to think it goes back that far. But yeah, yeah, you know, I I got out and I worked my way up from you know programming to project leaders to uh, uh, manager to MIS director, and I was a MIS director of a uh, very large forklift manufacturer in the Chicagoland area when I saw a need for protecting computer backups. Huh. And I had never seen it before. You know, Every company I'd ever worked for always had a, some type of room or a basement or some type of uh, uh, building across the street where the, the backups were sold, uh, sold every day by the operations staff. And I, I saw a need for getting them off-site. I saw a need for protecting them um, in my locale. My local area, right? And I thought, well, you know, let's let's take a, a a deeper look at it. And we we analyzed the market for about three years before we got into the, the business in nineteen ninety three. Oh, cool! Um, in nineteen ninety three, our name wasn't the data center; it was offsite data protection. And we were kind of playing with the key with kind of a, a play on words there. Where do you keep your data? Well, we keep it offsite, right? And it all kind of worked together. Um, we did some analysis of of the market through uh, the old uh, Uh, the old PRISM and the ACRC, which was uh, the origination of of PRISM. yeah. And they had a a whole lot of uh, pre-printed marketing collateral called Take Your Data Off-Site. Right. And it just, that was the way that we found our name and we worked that industry for about 10 years um, in this area, but basically very localized to Chicago, Madison, Rockford, um, you know, some of the other surrounding communities of Rockford. And... We, we kept growing and kept growing and kept growing, um, primarily just protecting computer backups. Wow. We never really touched any of the other uh, ancillary uh, services that could be provided through our company. It wasn't until 2006 when we incorporated with a new name called the Data Center that our evolution really started to, to grow outside of the, the traditional off-site data backup. Hmm. Or protection of, of computer media.
0: Right. Okay. So, what what happened in two thousand and six when the data center got founded? T- tell me a little bit about. I mean, it sounds like you've you've had the history, but what happened? What was unique about that two thousand and six? It seemed like at, at that point, you you kind of created a new a new entity for yourself in a different way. So give me a sense of, of what the genesis of that new, which is the current business. What, what was the genesis of what was going on at that time?
1: Well, the genesis, the catalyst, I'll I'll call it a catalyst. that's a word that I can wrap my hands around a little bit. Um, was we came across one customer that had a, a, basically a 100% SLA, uh, for an uptime solution for their online ordering systems that they were providing to the federal government. Wow. And they were looking for a place to house some equipment. Um, we were already providing them a solution with their, their backup tapes. And they came to us and said, can we put this hardware on your floor? Hmm. And we really never thought of it that way. Um, we never did. And we went to this customer. We, we partnered with this customer to say, yes, you can put some spinning disk on our floor. Rack-mounted servers, we don't know what to do with them, but we're just going to put them in the corner. We'll put a cage around them, and that particular floor space will be yours. Right. And from that one customer, that was the catalyst that that created a spark in this area that really was kind of dry from a colocation or a. Um, I don't want to use the word hosting because that typically is is overused. Right. But a co-location-type company in, in our area was, was somewhat unique. You had to go to Minneapolis or Milwaukee or Chicago to find somebody. So cool. we actually had customers that were coming through on on vault tours, um, trying to, to sign up uh, uh, the same traditional type off, off-site data protection uh, uh, solutions, and they saw what we were doing. We saw that there was a, a kind of a sparkle in their eye, per se, so we invested a little bit more time and research into providing an infrastructure-based co-location solution mm. to customers here in, in our region. Right. Um, it, it really was uh, different for us. Um, we kind of changed the way we were focusing on attracting business through that catalyst instead of the eyes of just, we can we can grab your data. Right. You know, we can come into your facility. We can grab your data. We can be just like the potato chip vendor and, and come see you every day. right? Or we can provide a different type of solution where it puts a little bit more control of, of that data in the, in the customer's hand. It's their own personal asset. It gives them not only the capability of protecting their data on a day-to-day basis, but also protecting their company from a disaster perspective by having redundant or primary, even primary uh, data systems sitting on our floor. Right. So it was the catalyst that, to get us thinking about data protection a little bit different um, in relative to seeing the scope of that customer's pain seeing that customer's uh solution set that that was required yeah to to do business in today's world instead of the world of 1993 or, or or prior
0: but it wasn't it sounds to me like despite the fact that 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 first client that became the catalyst for that it you know, it was a server sitting on a rack in a side of your building. You, you came from a computer sciences background, so it, it wasn't that it completely scared you. you. You must have had a comfort level with it just to even put it in, in the first place.
1: Well, actually, I, I looked at it two different ways at the time. I, I look at it differently now. That's my caveat. I look yeah. at it a little bit different now, but at the time, I saw it as we're already providing this this customer a solution of storing their backup tapes. They want to put a server on our on our floor I can either do one of two things. I can either say yes and jump into this and see what happens, or I can say no and they'll go search out somebody else. And eventually, I'll lose their tape business right. as well. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I saw it as a as a way to guarantee. I don't want to say hook. I don't want to say
0: right.
1: You know, leverage too much because that sounds like a bad you know bad yeah. word to the yeah. customer. But it was a way to to actually increase that that revenue, protect that revenue and solve a solution in a single-source perspective for that customer. And it was, it was one of those things I look back on and say that was the catalyst. That was the one thing that, that kind of changed the scope of, of where we would be years, years down the road. And
0: Very cool. you, you can look at
1: our organization now and see that that one was the, the tipping point. Wow. So it was, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's And fun. we still have that customer today.
0: So. Oh, that's so cool so you've been in the business a long time um, you know you started you started the off-site data protection company in 93 and we're in 2013 so that's 20 years now right Uh you, yeah, that's 20 years. So you've been in this game a long time. What are the differences you see now versus 5, 10 years ago? Because the, the world we live in, especially in a data environment, continues to change pretty rapidly. Uh, so what what are some of the significant differences you're aware of and are reacting to in your business?
1: Well, I, I try to look at those as challenges. Um, one of the things that I've seen kind of change over the course of the 20 years is that there's there's a tremendous number of ex- experts out there now, hmm. um, and experts come in, in two two different variations. You've got industry experts like myself, or you know 180 other companies that do what I do across the country. But you also have the experts in house. You have the customers that hmm. are better educated. Um, the two new technology tools that are out there are, are really giving uh, the IT managers, the, the system admin guys, that. Database guys, even the the workstation or the help desk guys, a lot more power and a lot more understanding of what's happening in their own environment. So you have a you have it being driven a little bit differently uh, today in in terms of decentralization, um, different types of technology tools sitting at the customer side. But I think the biggest thing is that the biggest challenge is that it's forcing companies like me to recognize that there are there is a host of new customers being created every single day. Oh, yeah. Back in 93 when we started our 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 prime focus was on those big customers that had big data centers that ran 24/7 that created a, a lot of data but also created a lot of backup tapes. Right. And we wanted those backup tapes. Backup tapes were frequency of handling, uh, frequency of delivery, uh, quantity of tapes sitting in tape racks being charged on a monthly basis. So it was, we wanted, you know, the big guys. We didn't, we really weren't focusing on the small uh, offices, the, the, the ones and twosies, the, the small to medium-sized organizations that maybe didn't didn't even have an IT presence. Yeah. That's changed. In 2006 to now, um, our focus has been, really, anybody whose data, rel- or company relies on data is a potential customer. Hmm. And well- that's... Through our service provide service offerings, like the co-location, the traditional off-site backup uh, uh, media protection, um, even the cloud-based computing, it has changed the way we look at our customers. We see every single uh, business that has a computer as a potential customer, whether they have an IT uh, staff, whether they've got a consultant, whether they've got you know one or two office people that run the, the, the primary server, because technology has changed. Everybody now has a piece of that technology. Yeah. It's not just the big mainframe guys. It's the small servers. It's the small dentist's office. It's the small legal office. It's the small mom and pop yeah. uh, candy shop that, that wants, you know basically want to keep uh, an idea of what their, their financials are. Anybody who relies on data has become our customer. And that is a tremendous change in yeah. philosophy. And challenge.
0: Yeah, and and I think you have a a, what I consider a valuable philosophy about sales that you you use personally. You teach your staff, and it relates to discovering the the prospects or the potential clients' pain. Tell me more about how you arrived at that approach. What what was your thinking around that pain as the central conversation with prospects?
1: Well, we we through the course of of these many years, we we've looked at it a lot of different ways. And the one that has made sense really is to become a solution provider. Customers have value. Mm-hmm. they look at you as the as the vendor or the service provider um, as having value and you have to make a conscious choice where do you want that value proposition to sit on the table? Do you want to be the guy who's just the low price leader? do you want to be the guy who uh, is at the top of the price chain but and you're selecting your customers based on you know really best need for you as, as a company, our philosophy it always has always been, got to do what's right for the customer first. Then you do what's right for the organization second. And me as the business owner, I don't have to worry about myself because I've done the first two right. Mm. I use that in my life too. I mean, right. not to sound hokey, but I, I make sure my wife or my, <laughs> my kids are taken care of. I make sure my wife is happy and I don't have to worry about Tim because I've done the first two it all comes by default right so I do the, I do the same with my customers so hmm. what I do is I actively seek the pain of my customers what is it that that you need to solve what is it that you need to, to fix for this customer it, it may be picking up their computer tape or swapping out a, a hard drive form on a day-to-day basis but it may, may be a lot more complex than that right um, It might be how do I how do they survive a disk crash how do they survive a, a fire or something of that nature um, so, what we do is we typically go in and we we sit down with a customer we we ask that customer, what is it that that really is causing you pain? Don't look at it from a data protection perspective let's look at it as a business perspective first. what is it that's really causing you the headache? what is it what's taking an awful lot of time in your backup window? what's taking in a lot of CPU cycles on your server? and we try to fix that hmm. um, now we I would be wrong remiss if I didn't say that we try to spin it toward the product lines that we offer, of
0: course. Right. right.
1: But but if we can't, if we if, if there's a customer pain that we can't solve by bundling our packages or our services together, we will actively seek out a solution for that customer because we have found over the course of the 20 years that we've been in business that if, if you provide that customer a solution, you basically will win that customer. Hmm. Solve the pain and you gain. And that's the way we've always looked at it. Solve the pain in your
0: game. Yeah, that's a, it's a great line. But the I I think one of the things that becomes evident at least in you know, in the the advanced industrial world we tend to respond to our existing pain, not necessarily the pain that could come. Is part of your process also to make sure, say from a disaster recovery perspective, that, that you're reminding them that there could be more pain or is it just let's deal with what's on the table first and then go back and work the future pain?
1: You know, that that's a very good point. Um, and, and the way I would answer that question is this. We, we love the disaster recovery discussion hmm. because... And we, we actually will spin it to the customer more of a business continuation discussion, a business recovery discussion, right. because in our day-to-day human human life, yeah, we always look at uh, the pain that we're experiencing today, okay? What is it that I have to fix before I go home today? Right what, have, right, what is it that I have to fix before I go home on Friday so I don't have to mess with it over the weekend, right? But we, we typically are reactionary. Yeah. And... When we start talking with customers uh, about business recovery isn't just an IT issue. It's a business issue. It's an issue for your accounting department. It's an issue for your shipping department. If you don't ship the product, how do you build a product? If you don't build a product, how do you create revenue? If you don't create revenue, how do you pay your people? Right. You start talking to customers in, in that type of scope, you'll find that the disaster, looking at it from a disaster recovery perspective becomes more proactive, less reactive. You're able to solve those issues before they become an issue. And again, if you win the customer, you win the day. If you win the customers uh, by providing them a solution, whether you provide it or whether you partner with somebody who can help you provide it, um, you win that customer's respect. You win that customer's business. You you win that customer's, uh, uh, he becomes your best salesperson. Yeah. Um, But we started out by doing uh, disaster recovery workshops where every quarter we would we would invite customers to come in or potential customers to come in and we would spend three to four hours talking about disaster recovery. What are the keys for disaster recovery? You always want to have your your data backed up. You want to make sure your backups are working. You want to make sure that, that, you know, only secure people have access to the building. No, I didn't say data center. I said building. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Make sure that, you know, and all these, we gave customers good information every quarter and we would fill the room. And we, what we found is that we didn't have to sell our services because they, they were coming to us as a, a default expert yeah. in this region, and we were able to initiate a, 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 a good rapport with these customers based on trying to be proactive.
0: Oh, um, I love it. That's fabulous. Yeah. yeah. And
1: it's actually spun into a, a a product line. We're actually going out and doing disaster recovery consulting and doing disaster recovery plans for businesses uh, you know, oh, and food that's... services all the way to uh, railroad car manufacturers. It's 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 gained an awful lot of mental momentum, uh, momentum and it it basically keeps our focus in focus. Yeah. Um if you know what i mean.
0: Yeah. No, it's fabulous. Love it. I lo- love that. Well, I I love marketing so i'm i'm uh I I love what you're doing there, which is educating to establish positioning, which then establishes credibility and trust, and and by default you get clients. And you're not trying to be the lowest price provider at that point. You've you've come at it a different way.
1: No, but we we still keep our prices to a a value proposition that I don't want to use the word no brainer, but when when customers start evaluating our services and our costs and our and our uh, expertise that we apply uh boots on the floor however you want to call it when they start analyzing all those bits and pieces and prices in there somewhere and they compare that against the the other players in the industry what they find is that they're getting an awful lot of value for the for the price and usually we're, we're lower anyway because our overhead is lower but we've always had the philosophy of of you know do what's right for the customer because you know what it doesn't matter where you're at in this country you can be in Philadelphia you can be in little rock arkansas you can be on vacation in orlando and this has happened to me i was on vacation in orlando in disney world how many people are in disney world every day <laughs> i was on i was in the line uh pirates of the caribbean behind a customer wow and the last thing you want to do is have to turn your way turn, turn your turn your face or your back away from that customer so they he doesn't see you or she doesn't see you because you've done a bad job. Yeah. You always yeah. want to be able to walk up and say, hey, Bill, how you doing? Yeah. You know, you always we always want to put the f- best foot forward. And sometimes that's price. Sometimes that's experience. Sometimes that's uh, finding the solution, finding the pain. And most of the time, it's wrapping it all up in a nice little bundle, putting a bow on it, giving it to that customer. And they they see it. They feel it. They taste it. And they get to buy it again and again.
0: Your 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 drivers uh, coming out of that philosophy. Uh, your drivers are often, especially in the the sort of traditional data storage model rotation of of backup tapes, are often the visible face of your business to many of your customers. Uh, you you've got a I, I think what's maybe a different approach to making that critical employee ultra valuable to your organization. In in sort of brief, what is that? How how do you think through that that role?
1: Well, I I think that. From a, from an organizational perspective I, I believe that you have multiple opportunities to have people recognize your company. Hmm. One is courses, you know, traditional marketing, one of, is traditional, you know, telemarketing or teleservices or, or you know, dropping the business card off. But I, I think the most valuable are two two extensions of your organization. One is your drivers, yeah. one is your employees. Okay. Yeah. The other one is your customers, because your customers will talk. Yeah. Okay. But from a from a an employee perspective, we have a multitude of different types of, of of employees, and each one of them has a value proposition that is trained into them. I, I, I only pick the right people, but we train into our employees that the customers are our lifeblood. Yeah. There are we educate them on the understanding of the value of our customer. Right. A lot of people say, Tim, it must be nice to to have your own company. It must be nice to be your own boss. I've got hundreds of bosses. <laughs> right. I've got hundreds of bosses. Right. Every single day. Yeah. And my employees have hundreds of bosses. And we empower our employees to look at every one of those customers as being the most important customer we have. We had a, we had a meeting with a customer that had 53,000 computer tapes with us. The conference room was packed. We had some of our key, key employees in there. And this customer, 53,932 tapes, looked at me and said, Tim, who's your most important customer? I looked down one side of the table, looked down the other side of the table, and I saw a smile come across my employee's face because they knew exactly what I was going to say. Very succinctly, I told this this gentleman that you have 53,000 tapes. That represents your recoverability. That reco- that represents your capability of maintaining your business. So that really equals your business. Yeah. I have this customer over here that has one tape. They rotate it out every single week. They never have more than one tape in storage. That represents their recoverability, their business. One equals one in my book. Yeah. Now, if you were asked that question, who has the most tapes? Of course, it's you, Mr. Customer. But every one of my my employees share the the value system that every one of my customers today is the most important customer we can have today. And empowering our our, our employees to, to view that and understanding the customer's need relative to that, you can't go wrong. You, you can put that person, you can put that employee with, with your logo in front of that customer every single day and they're going to be your best salesperson.
0: Right. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, I've, I've, I watch some of the posts that you make in the in the different forums in the industry. And uh, it seems to me you've you've had a significant amount of experience with these audits from SAS 70 and PCI and those kind. What are the things you keep learning in in relation to the audits that you're experiencing?
1: Well, the first thing I learned a long time ago is I don't like audits.
0: <laughs> I just
1: don't like audits. Yeah. Um, you know, it, because the audits are, um, are a test in time. And in the dynamic world that we live in, um, I challenge anybody to come up with a test in time that actually represents the time. Um, but they're a necessary evil. Hmm. Uh, we have customers that audit us every month. Um, wow. There's multiple Multiple customers doing multiple audits for different types of, uh, of industry or different types of legislation. We have um, extensive experience with uh, two very well-known audit uh, uh, platforms: the SAS 70 and the PCI audit. Right. But there's our customers come in and, and audit us internally uh, with their own audit team. They may bring in uh, external audits or auditors to do their audits, and we're just an extension of that audit. So we've been audited ever since 1993. Hmm. Um, part of part of our philosophy is that we maintain a best practice scenario, yeah, okay. and we also we also maintain best practices based upon uh, current guidelines that are out there via Prism or uh, Data Processing Association, uh, bare metal list groups, all all the professional associations that were out there that are out there. We use them as guidelines to what we should be providing anyway. But it doesn't change the fact that customers want you to have that third-party, arm's-length audit that they can, right? They can either show their customers or show their uh, board that that we are what we say we are, and we're yeah. not just a, a vapor. Yeah, um, we tell our customers every every time we get a chance please come audit us. Please come audit us. Uh, we'll provide you a free lunch. If you come early, we'll get you donuts. If you come late, we'll get you cookies. <laughs> because you want to be able to, to establish yourself inside of your organization and say, yes, the data center does what the data center preaches it does. Right. In, in lieu of that, um, we've gone through the SAS 70 Type 1. Uh, we've gone through the SAS 70 Type 2. We've done our uh, PCI self-assessment, uh, which was was done several years ago, and and, and it has provided us a, an umbrella of protection uh, to some of our accounts in terms of their audit re, uh, requirements. But we've just uh, completed our full-blown PCI audit this March. Wow. Um, and it was an experience, Tom. It really was. It, it, it was one of those things that, you know, you really kind of strip down and you show everybody uh, the, the bits and pieces of your organization that you don't put out in your marketing. Right, and, yeah. What I've learned is that I like the PCI audit the best. The PCI audit has what I would... Best, the best way of, of terming it is that it has a set of of rules and compliance scopes already regulated into the, the audit processing. There's no guesswork. There is no... Uh, you know, the auditors know exactly what they're looking for. They tell you exactly where you're def, uh, defective or compliant. And it's really... Um, by the time you get done with it, it is something that you can you can put on your website, you can put on a badge on your on your company logo. You 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 can really put it out there that we are PCI compliant, hmm. we're strong enough security-wise for the credit card organizations. So you know, it, it really is a a, a nice uh, marketing tool. The SAS 70, not so much. Hmm. We've gone through the SAS 70 twice, and what we've found is that the auditors are wishy-washy on on the best practices of, 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 the scope of the audit. Um, most of the time they allow us to tell them the controls inside of organ of our organization that, they, that we want to have tested. Um, think of it this way. If somebody was to come up and, and buy your used car yeah. and you were able to tell them, uh, or you, you were given the, the ability to, <laughs> to just tell them the highlights of that used car that you knew would work. Right. Uh, is that a true testament of, of the ability of that user? Got it. No. Okay. So the SAS 70, we're not we're not as happy with it uh, in terms of what we can provide to our customers. We can provide them a, an audit and say, "Hey, we passed." Right. But what did you really pass? Right.
0: Hmm. You
1: passed something that you knew you were going to pass. Um, and that, to me, just doesn't uh, doesn't sit as well in the industry.
0: But the the PCI one, the full blown PCI, really also probably helped your business to even get better. Not only are you compliant, and you can use it from a marketing perspective, but probably the process itself was really helpful in terms of more systematic ways to ensure protection and compliance and those kind of things.
1: Absolutely, it it, it gave us. Uh, you know, to me, it's like a. Uh, I do a lot of open water swimming. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a triathlete at heart. And I've got this wetsuit. And this the wetsuit is, it, it clings to your body and it's very form-fitting. And it, you know, it shows you everything that you don't want to see. <laughs> okay. And that's what a good audit is. A good right. audit is like a good right. wetsuit. It, it really clings to you and it says, okay, here's the things that are that, that stand out that you are superb and stellar in. Mm. But here are some things that you're, you really need to, to work on to wow. grow your... Organization and that's that's exactly what it did. We were able to see some deficiencies. You know, I'm, I'll raise my hand in a crowded room and say that we don't do. You know, we're human, so yeah. we have deficiencies as well. But we were able to correct those deficiencies, and now we're able to take those deficiencies back to our customers and say, "Look, what we can do for you." Oh, look what, that's so cool! Look, look how strong we are, and it it really is a good tool. However, there is always a cost versus value proposition on mm. those audits. Right. And I was just talking with a gentleman in, in the industry uh, last week. I think that a customer is coming and saying, you, "You must have this audit," but the customer doesn't provide enough revenue through the course of the years to, or the, the, the contract to actually justify spending the money on the audit for that customer. So it really becomes a catch twenty-two. Oh yeah. Um, how do you How do you spread that cost across all your customers and make it a marketing value for that customer rather than just a I've got to do this because a customer requires me to do it. Right,
0: right. So... Well, and it, it seems like those are showing up more and more. And you said, I mean, customers are, are internally auditing you on a regular basis, but it seems like more and more people are seeing seeing some inherent value. But it sounds to me like it's really important to understand which audits are worth doing, which ones have that inherent external value after they're done. And it is, is there really enough revenue from a particular client that needs it? Is it worth really really doing it in the long run. And I mean, those are big questions.
1: And I would add, I would add that we have always, since 1993, we have always expected our customers to audit us. Mm. Um, it's never been a surprise when a customer says we want to come in and audit you. So if you're, if you have those customers coming through your door, one thing that we have found is that they're less likely to ask you for those audits Mm. if they're in your face a lot, right? If they're here and they can touch and feel what you do and they understand what you do, um, they're less likely to ask you to have that audit done because they they're able to out of experience respond to their board respond to their boss respond to their a security auditor inside their own their own organization on what it is you do and what how you provide it. Yeah. It, it you know so when you're friends with your customer it becomes a very strong tool to keep those audits off your back. Hmm.
0: Well, it sounds like we could probably talk a whole lot about a whole lot of other stuff, but yeah. we, we've we've smoked through most of our time. But I, I did want to ask you something that I I, sure. I like to ask everybody, and it, it often gets to the heart of maybe something that all of us could learn from. But if, if you could go back to whether it be 2006 when uh, the data center started, or even 93 when you formed the off-site data protection business, um, what – would you do differently, knowing all you know today
1: well that's a that's a real hard question and and as much as we are reactionary, hindsight's always twenty twenty yeah um you know all the cliches you can throw on but the first thing that stick that sticks in my my head is that um I am not a very good marketing sales guy I don't feel comfortable uh picking up that phone and and hearing that customer say no or the, that potential customer saying no because i I'm so passionate about what i do hmm. i I take sometimes, uh, I take a little hard if a customer doesn't want to do business with me. Oh, they don't want to do business with Tim Goodman. Right. Really, it's they don't want to do business with the data center. Right. What So what I would do is I would actually invest um, in, in a stronger marketing and sales force than what I currently have today. Hmm. That's the first piece, is that try to take the, even though I have a lot of passion for what I do, try to take some of the personal uh, out of it and, and actually uh, have a sales force that that uh, works in in correlation with with, with my goals. Um, I've never really done that from the beginning. I've we've grown into that, but I, I do believe we be, would have been more successful early on um, if I would have had uh, a little foresight to do that. Right. Um, and I guess that goes into my next thought in terms of, of inve- investing more in a in a presence or a positioning. Um, again, mm-hmm. we've we've been a little bit reactionary in terms of how our customers. We learn with every new customer, yeah. and that's a great thing. That is a great thing. We never want to stop doing that, but we would love to be able to anticipate that learning process rather than <laughs> learning it from on the fly. Right. So, you know, really investing in a, in a little bit more of a positioning or presence, um, but it's a catch-22. Yeah. How do you market? How do you sell? How do you position in this industry when 99% of the, of the rules is confidentiality? and security. You know, we can't have big neon signs on billboards saying your data here, your right. data here. Right. So, right. you know, it, it's a challenge. And yeah. I'm an IT bits type of guy. So when you talk sales, marketing presence, we've done good with what I've been able to learn from my customers. But could, could have we done better if we would have had a more structured approach early on? Yeah. That's the first thing.
0: Hmm. That's that's really good. That's and 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 that is something that I think so many of us in this industry struggle with because the 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 requirements of compliance, the requirements of privacy, all of all of the security aspects of it uh, yet that marketing the the front end marketing and the, the sort of closing the the loop on the sales side of it becomes such a critical way to build our businesses that um, I, I can see how that's something of, of great importance and um, and it's a lesson for all of us I think. So thank you. You're welcome. Well, it's been really great to talk to you. I, I appreciate your wisdom. I appreciate your perspective, and, and I appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to actually share it with us today. It's, it's always good to hear your story, and in your story, I think there's so many wonderful lessons, and I, I, I appreciate the fact that you've shared those with us today. So thanks for doing that, Tim.
1: Well, thank you very much for, for allowing me to do that. It, it's been a pleasure talking, and, and though we didn't really muster up um, much on some of my other service projects, uh, it, I love... Sharing so anytime that, that uh, I can share yeah, we
0: might just have to do it again that that might be worth us uh, might, might be worth us doing it again that'd be a blast fantastic Wow, I could have easily gone twenty minutes longer with Tim. He's got such a cool perspective and the way he approaches things is so valuable. So I'm definitely gonna get him back on the show to talk about more of it further. I had another 10 questions I wanted to ask him that I, I think he just has such a cool perspective on. Great stuff, so thanks Tim for being here on the show. And thanks to you too, thanks for being with us today. Finally, let me say that this show has been sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. With lots of changes happening at O'Neill, what impresses me about them is the unquenchable dedication to building great products, exceptional customer support and service, and even more is their never-ending focus they have on new development. Not for where you are today, but where you're going to need to be down the road in your future. So I strongly encourage you to visit and learn more about them at Soft. Dot .com that's it for us we'll be back in august with more new shows have yourself a great summer we are out of here thanks for joining us on the rimpro report with tom adams if you enjoyed the show please tell others our website is www.rimproreport.com this broadcast is produced and hosted by
1: flourish press inc join us again soon